Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Anirudh Singh. Our guest today is Arvind Purushottam, Global Head of Venture Investing at City Ventures. Arvind leads City's efforts to identify, invest in, and partner with leading startups as a way to bring cutting-edge technologies and capabilities to City's businesses and functions. Additionally, he serves as a partner to City's business leaders and helps identify market trends based on thousands of startups the venture investing team meets every year. Under his leadership, the group has partnered with category-defining startups such as Square, Plaid, DocuSign, Honey, Betterment, Braze, Netscope, and Tanium. In his capacity as head of venture investing for the company, he also leads the City Impact Fund. In today's episode, we discuss his early career at Menlo Ventures, developing partnerships between portfolio companies and Citibank, investments in Doconomy, Drive Wealth, and TRM Labs, City Impact Fund, and much more. Hope you enjoy the show. Uh, so, Arvind, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Uh, we're honored to have you on as a guest. How are you doing and where are you calling in from? Uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, pleasure to be on here. I've been a fan of the podcast for a little while. Uh, I'm calling from calling in from sunny California in, in Palo Alto. Uh, well, I appreciate the kind words. Thank you so much. And uh, enjoy the sun. It is about 25 degrees here today in Philadelphia. So a little bit jealous. Um, but yeah, let's hopefully spring will be here soon. Hopefully. Yeah. All right. Let's jump right into it then. So for listeners who might not know, could you just provide an overview of your career to date and uh, how you became involved in financial services and in fintech? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Anirudh. So uh, I run the venture investing group at City Ventures, and I've been here uh, pretty much doing the same thing for about 11 years, nearly 11 years. I think it'll be 11 in, in a week. Um, and, um, you know, it has been absolutely a great time, uh, obviously, and a, and a phenomenal time to be investing in fintech and, and being at the intersection of financial services and technology. Um, before coming to uh, City Ventures, I was a partner at a venture firm called Menlo Ventures for nearly a decade. Uh, investing in some financial services uh, companies, but also in enterprise technologies and semiconductors. Um, Menlo is a you know top-tier Sandal Road venture capital firm. I learned from uh, some great investors at uh, at Menlo, um, and I was lucky to to be there when they made some great investments through the the decade of the 2000s. And the way I got to Menlo was after business school, but before business school, I was also lucky. To have spent an amazing four plus years at Intel, and it was a period of rapid growth. Um, after graduating with a master's in electrical engineering, I joined Intel as a design engineer initially, working on mobile Pentium and mobile Pentium 2 products. Um, became a program manager, and that was a time when I joined Intel when maybe they had about 44, 45,000 people. By the time I left, uh, they had about 88,000 people. That you know, the company had doubled in size by the time I left, and and it was phenomenal to be a part of that uh, uh, growing enterprise. But while I was at Menlo, you know, uh, the the firm had actually invested in some really great financial services companies, uh, both prior to my getting there, as well as some investments we made while I was there. And that intersection of financial services and technology always intrigued me. It, it felt like you know, technology was always important, um, you, you know, for financial services from a back-end perspective. The large banks always bought, you know, uh, huge quantities of technology to power the power the enterprise, to to uh, handle all kinds of operational details. 
you know, financial services in a lot of ways is, you know, fundamentally digital, right? So, so that uh, was always the case. But it became more apparent to me that even from a front-end perspective, financial, you know, technology was going to be more important to financial services, right? And that was already happening through the decades of the 2000s. And so um, that piqued my interest. Uh, we made some investments uh, while I was there uh, in uh, at Menlo. And then when the City Ventures opportunity came along, um, I, I jumped at it and uh, came on board to be able to lead the investing effort here. Yeah, that's a, that's a really incredible career. And I think you definitely saw the rising tide that is fintech investing uh, at, at certainly the right time. I would love to keep digging into that point a little bit um, and just kind of get your thoughts on how fintech investing and fintech overall has evolved um, since you joined uh, City Ventures 11 years ago to, to now where it's really become the top sector that, that VCs invest in. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, when I first started at City Ventures, little did I know that it would be this kind of a growth in the fintech investing world. You know, sort of make uh, two two kind of related points. First of all, uh, I speak to a lot of my friends who have been in venture capital uh, for for a while, and this is my twenty first year or something like that in venture capital. And um, we sort of talk about how investing itself has changed, right? Venture as a as a an industry as a space has grown tremendously, um, and it has been you know itself disrupted in many ways, right? Um, all kinds of new entrants have come in, models have changed, and a lot of the old rules have been thrown out, right? Um, there were certain rules of, you know, doing early stage venture that are no longer true. And so in many ways, venture as a space itself has tr uh, changed tremendously in the last five to 10 years. And then FinTech, uh, you know, when I first came on board here in 2011, um, it was very, very narrow. There were a few interesting companies, well-known companies, companies such as Square, companies that we became investors in later on, uh, companies such as Lending Club were sort of the, the high flyers of the day. Uh, a lot of focus on mobile payments, right? Because, you know, the, the, you know the, the Apple iPhone had been introduced a few years prior and the App Store was new. And so, and then the NFC movement and tap and pay, you know, uh, was coming into coming into the world. And so there was a lot of focus on mobile payments and wallets and things of that nature. Um, and, you know, fast forward 10, 11 years, um, it's unrecognizable, right? It's changed in size. It's changed in scope. Uh, there are new things like, you know, digital assets and crypto that have come into come into the world in the in the, you know, in the 10 year period. And again, in financial services as well, and in fintech, you know, fintech as a term didn't even invest, uh, uh, exist back then. Um, again, the old rules have been thrown out. You know, people used to look at financial services um, uh, uh, companies and startups and worry about a regulation, b balance sheet, where's the capital going to come from, and so people were were hesitant to back, you know, lending companies and things that would be considered, um, you know, asset heavy. Uh, kind of uh, companies, and and those were some of the things that actually prevented traditional venture capital firms to invest in financial services and fintech companies. And you know, all all of those rules have been thrown out. I think it was a way back now, but CB Insights that had done this great infographic of like a major bank's you know web page and taken all the different pieces from consumer banking to credit cards to lending to all the institutional stuff. 
and every part of it now has great startups, right? Every There's no white space there when it comes to sort of uh, traditional financial services. And, you know, uh, and it's hard to think of a space where there are no startups that have been funded that, that, that are not, uh, you know, where there's no innovation. And, and so that's been fantastic to see, you know, just the explosion of innovation in the space, the number of entrepreneurs coming in. And really at the end of the day, Yes, I mean it's 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 fantastic from a you know venture standpoint and people in technology and so on and so forth, but also um, how it impacts people, how it impacts businesses, uh, how it makes life easier for a lot of uh, people out there, whether it's governments, you know, companies or or people. That's great to see. Yeah, I I appreciate the the shout out to CB Insights. They they do so much fantastic work on fintech investments. I always read their quarterly reports as they come out and they're friends of the show. Um, and it, it, you mentioned a, a few ways that VC investing has changed um, since you started uh, your VC career. And I think a lot of that has to do with these fintech companies that have kind of driven some of the change. So things like crowdfunding or factoring or alternative lending have, have changed how uh, small businesses approach getting their capital. And I think that's that's great for the ecosystem. Um, I would love to switch now and dive a little bit more into uh, City Ventures specifically uh, and kind of just get your thoughts on, on what makes City Ventures uh, different from other CVCs or different from traditional VCs. What's your primary differentiator? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the things that we started off with is because City Ventures recruited people from venture capital firms, uh, we came in with the attitude of, um, you know, being very entrepreneur friendly. Uh, we said, you know, we are, we have to be the the supporters of the entrepreneurs and be, you know, the the um, the voice of the entrepreneur, the voice of the startup within city, right? And so we brought a very entrepreneur friendly approach to uh, doing strategic investing within within city ventures. And city was, you know, progressive enough and lucky, and we were lucky enough to be able to set it up in a way where. We could we could play that role of bridging the worlds between city and sort of the the banking and the institutional banking and commercial consumer banking world and the external startup ecosystem. So we were able to you know play, play that role. But because we came from uh, from sort of traditional venture capital, uh, we brought that that uh, that mindset of you know how do we help the entrepreneurs in in multiple ways? How do we become a value added investor? Um, uh, a, we're supportive investors. We invest in multiple rounds, support these companies through the life cycle of the investment. Second is we connect the the dots between the external startup ecosystem and and uh, City. Right, City is a large organization. It's one of the most global banks out there, and so the um, the ability to navigate City, the you know connecting the right startups to the right people at the right time. Right, that's an important uh, ability for us. And um, and so we are able to do that, and we do that. We're able to do that because we send, spend a significant amount of time with our business unit leaders, with our functional leaders, understanding their needs, understanding their their priorities, so that we can bring in the right kinds of companies at the right time. And and so I think the ability to look at investments um, from with a venture lens, right, also gives us the ability to determine what is potentially strategic and disruptive. To a large uh, company like City, so we exist for strategic reasons. We 
want to be those eyes and ears on the you know, on the ground, um, you know, looking out into the startup uh, world um, and trying to leverage the best of the best and, and bringing it into city. And so when you're looking at things out there, uh, trying to figure out what is disruptive, what is coming up, potentially coming out of left field for the financial services world, the using the venture lens is actually a very useful and probably the, the you know, the most um, uh, significant signal that's out there, right? If the, you see companies that are growing rapidly, that are seeing that traction, that also gives us a signal that there is a change under, uh, underway. There is a change underway in a particular space. Uh, some technology, technology trending is, trend is, is, uh, is uh, starting to impact the, the industry as a whole. And that's kind of the way we think about identifying those, those companies, those signals, those trends, bringing it in, but also be the champion of the entrepreneur inside of, uh, inside of city and promote sort of uh, commercial partnership. Um, and then over and above that, the last thing I would say is beyond city, we uh, try to do a set of things that helps our entrepreneurs, whether it's making introductions to people in our network. You know, the world's largest corporations are clients of, of city. Sometimes it makes sense for us to connect our startups to, to other large corporates. We, are, we can connect them to uh, subject matter experts. We can connect them to potential executive hires. Um, as well as um, connect, you know, uh, bring them in for events where they get to learn something from the rest of the ecosystem, and so we're able to do all of that uh, as a way to to work with our, and and add value to our portfolio companies. Yeah, it sounds like you really value the ability to connect dots for these startups, both to City and to others in your ecosystem. I'm curious if there's any particular partnerships that you were able to create for one of your portfolio companies that you're particularly proud of. So, yeah, yes. And, you know, we there are many, many such stories over the years of how we've been able to to uh, create those partnerships and drive commercial uh, engagement with city. Um, out of the, the, the in the time that we've been doing this, a significant percentage of our startups actually have a commercial engagement with city. So um, I, w I won't sort of mention specific uh, numbers, but if you look at, you know, these partnerships take a, a a certain period of time to execute, as you can imagine. So if you take a snapshot of our portfolio, let's say uh, 12 months ago or 18 months ago, a significant, significant over 50% of those startups have actually have commercial engagement with City, which is something that we're proud of and something that we push on day in and day out. Um, most of those start, uh, those partnerships are, in fact, uh, confidential, right? They're not, you know, uh, they're not uh, publicized to the outside world, but but one that I'd mention is, you know, uh, our partnership with a company called High Radius in the fintech space. It's a B2B fintech company. Um, we have a, a great business within City called Treasury and Trade Solutions (TTS), um, and we manage and help many, many corporations manage uh, institutional payments. And so, High Radius is a leader in um, sort of uh, accounts receivable, financing, and automating dig digitization and automation of handling uh, uh, accounts receivables. And so City launched a, a a product called City Smart Match in partnership with High Radius, and you know we we are going to to market uh, with the High Radius product jointly, uh, and that's one I can talk about. But there are so many more where we've been able to do um, very uh, substantial partnerships, uh, obviously help our companies, but really help our businesses within City by bringing the best uh, technology in. 
Yeah. And one of my favorite things to do whenever I get VCs on the show is to dive deeper into some of your investments uh, as you just started with High Radius. Um, so I've got a few that I've listed, uh, put together here that I would love to get your thoughts on just, you know, why you invested in the company, what was the thesis around the original investment and, and how they're doing. Um, so if you don't mind, I would love to dive into a few of those. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let's do it. Can we start with the Doconomy, the uh, impact tech startup that is helping build financial tools for climate change? Yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, uh, I mean, uh, as you know, um, you know, ESG has been a top of mind issue for uh, for the world, really, right? Um, and uh, and we've been thinking about ESG from the point of view of you know not only what does City do, because City has announced the intention to to become carbon neutral, um, but also how are our clients thinking about it? How are our consumer uh, clients also thinking about it. And um, and one of the things that is interesting about the economy is just be, to be able to provide the data to people, right? So there are many, many, you know, millions of people who are very conscious uh, about uh, their carbon footprint. They're conscious about, you know, usage of, uh, usage of water and natural resources and things of that nature. And um, when you supply data to people who are already conscious, there's automatic sort of behavioral change that you can drive uh, potentially at scale, right? And so uh, this is starting to happen now, um, and and we felt like the economy had a great solution for people through their spend to be able to highlight the carbon footprint, water usage, and things of that nature that you know that they're driving. The company um, has uh, come up with, some, with its own proprietary uh, uh, index called the Aland Index. Uh, they have a bunch of other uh, products, including uh, a lifestyle calculator product. And so so the company partners with banks, financial institutions, and, and other uh, companies uh, to be able to then directly to consumers be, provide that type of visibility and information, right? So we really like the team. It's um, you know a fairly early stage company in, in sort of early revenues growing nicely. Um, we really like the team. We we bring the we like the design ethos that the founder brings um, uh, as well. And so we became investors uh, fairly fairly recently uh, in the economy. It's a company that's based in uh, based in Europe. And and I think as our clients as well as our consumer bank think thinks think about sort of you know what what do consumers want and and the conscious uh, consciousness around carbon footprint and, and natural resources consumption. We felt the economy could be a really good uh, capability to to bring in. Yeah, about about a year ago, I was uh, working with a team that was looking to incubate a, a carbon accounting startup. And it, as I dug more into the product, it really dawned on me how difficult it is to track at a line item level what your emissions are, especially when you start to factor in like what your who your suppliers are and who your customers are and what their emissions are. Um, so I think I think going at a transaction level like Doconomy is is, is a really good idea. Um, I would love to talk about. Sorry, go ahead. No, absolutely. I mean, I think you you when you're trying to drive that type of behavioral change at scale, you need to make it easy, right? Uh, and so to be able to automate certain things uh, and and provide people an idea, a, a sense of like, okay, is it higher or lower than last year? Higher or lower than Sort of last, uh, you know, quarter. How am I doing as a family? How are we doing as a 
community. I mean, though that kind of visibility and data uh, can be um, highly impactful. Amazing. Uh, I would love to talk about DriveWealth next, the uh, embedded investing application. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, many, many years ago, we, we you know, started to, to look at sort of the wealth management and investing space um, to, to sort of uh, identify investments and identify, you know, uh, aspects of the industry that were changing because of technology. And, um, and then way back, you know, seven plus years ago, we became investors uh, in a great company called Betterment, which is one of the first robo-advisory uh, companies uh, that is out there. That work led us to um, thinking about, you know, what is that infrastructure that Betterment and other great, you know, fintechs uh, rely on? And, and, you know, so as we, um, as we did more work in the space, um, we, we understood um, sort of the limitation of some of the legacy players uh, in, the, uh, in the financial, you know, sort of the investing infrastructure world. And then over time, we came across DriveWealth. Um, and then we stayed in touch with the DriveWealth team over actually many years before we became investors just last year. Um, DriveWealth Drive is, uh, is an API-based infrastructure for investing. And so some of the things that they do and, and that they have done from the get-go is fractional investing, uh, which until recently was not that common. They, you know, did, you know, they built software that could do that. They do, you know, they're able to uh, help with portfolio management, with robo-advisory, um, with rewards and loyalty, um, they can they can help uh, in, invest HSAs. So they can do all of this, but on a on an API you know sort of basis, so that this gets embedded into other brands, financial institutions, and and other you know properties. Uh, one of the areas we've been thinking a lot about, and we've spoken about and written about, is embedded finance, and we felt like DriveWealth was sort of an epitome of that, right? Creating infrastructure that's easily connectable through APIs so that you could then embed, you know, let's say uh, stock-based loyalty in sort of a brand uh, app, or you can bring in investing to areas that didn't offer investing in a fairly easy manner because you wanted to be a full service player um, and, and things of that nature. And DriveWorld, you know, this company was started a few years ago and they have, that modern technology to be able, you know, that was built with APIs in mind, that was built with connectivity in mind, with the ability to embed in a variety of different uh, different uh, properties, and and uh, and so we became uh, investors in DriveWealth in 2021. Amazing. I've I, I think I've seen a trend in your your first two companies that we've talked about, which is uh, the easier it is and the simpler it is that the startup makes it uh, for the uh, end user to use. The, the more excited you seem to get about the company. Um, Right. I mean, you know, having having been in the in the venture capital world, I mean, one of those that's one of the patterns you see, right? You have to, especially in, on the consumer side, you have to make it very, very, very simple, um, and solve a problem. If you're, you know, make it simple and you're solving a problem, you you get that adoption. And guess what? I think enterprises think the same way. It's just at a different level, but they're also, you know, enterprises and developers think exactly the same way when it comes to innovation. The last company I wanted to dive into uh, is TRM Labs, the crypto and financial crime detection tool. I uh, would love to hear your thoughts on them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, uh, needless to say, uh, you know, the the whole digital asset area has been a area of high focus for for 
city and for a lot of the other big banks. We've been spending a lot of time thinking about um, uh, digital assets and crypto. And um, and one of the things that we think about, of course, is if this whole space is going to be successful, it needs all the safety nets and, and security and all of those, all of that fundamental, you know, sort of hygiene and infrastructure that is there in the fiat currency world. Um, and so uh, when you look at the space, we really, really like the team at TRM Labs. We felt like they were a next generation player uh, in the reg tech space for digital assets. And so we, um, uh, you know, ended up uh, sort of making that investment. Uh, we, compliance and risk management is, uh, you know, we view that as sort of a necessary condition for the whole, you know, digital asset world to to uh, to grow and to succeed. And so we started with an, you know, an investment in, in TRM Labs uh, in sort of this um, uh, this go around of sort of going into the digital digital asset and crypto world. Um, you know, as you pointed out, they're in the security and re- regulation space, so they do uh, transaction monitoring, they have a forensics tool, they do uh, wallet scre- screening, they have a feature called Know Your VASP or Virtual Asset Service Provider, and, and we feel like um, those are all um, components that you need for the safety and security of the financial system, uh, and for somebody like Citi, um, where, you know, even though we currently don't offer any digital asset services or, or products, many of our consumers and many of our clients are very active in the space. And so it, this is a, a part of the, the world that we're looking at and, and, and getting more serious about. And then as we, city think about you know our, our role in the digital asset world. Yeah, just before this episode, I recorded one with uh, Nathan McCauley of Anchorage Digital. And he's certainly very bullish on uh, building out the infrastructure around uh, the crypto. So he'd be happy to hear about hear you talk about this. Um, I, I also noticed you helped launch the City Impact Fund in 2020. Um, and I'm just would love to hear some of your thoughts on what, why you launched that and uh, what the goals of that fund. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, starting about three years ago, we started to partner internally with a, with a team um, within city that had the idea of you know investing uh, and building a portfolio of impact oriented companies so the the um, in talking to them it was clear I mean city for the longest time has had the city foundation we make a, a charitable contributions to to nonprofits and charities um, you know every year um, as do some of the other banks um, but the idea here was to build a, a venture portfolio, um, of you know companies that are for-profit companies that by design are you know built around social impact uh, uh, themes, and so the 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 team came up the the team came up with four sort of vertical areas. Um, one is sustainability, uh, second is workforce development, um, third is financial access and inclusion, and then fourth is uh, you know f- uh, physical and and social infrastructure. So in these areas, um, we wanted to uh, back startups and entrepreneurs um, starting great companies in these different spaces. And then one additional element that we added to to this, um, uh, you know, some ways into the the development of the the fund and the program was to back women and minority entrepreneurs, right? So the fund got launched in early 2020 
Um, we uh, announced it as a initially as a $150 million fund that was later on expanded um, to add uh, focus on black entrepreneurs. So an additional $50 million was added to it. Um, and, um, and so we're partnered internally. I'm one of three MDs that uh, supervises and manages that, that program. Um, and in, in a short period of time, we've made, you know, roughly 25 investments, uh, plus minus, um, you know, in about a two year period across all these areas that, that, uh, you know, I've just talked about over 50% of our investments are either led by women entrepreneurs and minority entrepreneurs. Um, and many of those companies are now starting to do well. I mean, the, the idea of having a, an impact fund. In, in my mind was very similar to the, the reason we have city ventures and the strategic impact that we try to, to, to derive from it. I think if we can have a impact fund where um, you have a venture return type of profile for the portfolio and the companies by definition are doing social good because of what they, you know, because of the innovation, um, then some of these phenomenally you know, successful companies within the portfolio will drive phenomenal social impact as well, right? And so the two are, you know, very um, closely aligned. And so we have a set of great companies in the portfolio. Some of them have raised, you know, additional financing at sort of uh, uh, significant markups. Um, and um, and we're sort of uh, off, off to the races uh, there. Yeah, I think I said the TRM Labs would be the last company I asked you to dive deeper into, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask about a... Uh financial access and inclusion company within the impact fund for portfolio. Um, and I think Greenwood fits that bucket. So would, would you mind talking about them a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, uh, the, um, the, so in the world of financial services, we've seen sort of so many neo banks come up, right? The company, the banks that have been designed from the ground up to be digital or mobile only, um, and one of the things we think about uh, as a part of the City Impact Fund is financial inclusion and financial uh, access for people that have been previously underserved, right? Um, and, uh, and Greenwood was uh, started by a, a small team of African-American entrepreneurs uh, based down in Atlanta, and it's a neobank that's targeted to people of color. So... Uh, Greenwood is uh, is thinking about uh, black communities as well as Latino communities and designing a uh, not just the, the branding and the ethos around it, but all the way down the stack, you know, the products and the services that think about the things that they design for to fit the needs of the black and Latino uh, of black and Latino communities. Um, it fit the 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 uh, rationale for the impact fund perfectly. Right, it's bringing financial inclusion and 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 the financial access to to communities of color, to underserved communities. Uh, it's targeting you know um, uh, communities of color, and um, it has some pr prominent uh, individuals. Uh, some some of the co-founders are Andrew Young, Ryan Glover, people like that who um, have been you know in and around the the media industry. Uh, they brought together a really great team to sort of design. This bank, uh, you know, this neo bank from from the ground up, and then we were lucky to become investors uh, last year uh, in Greenwood. Yeah, it's it's really great to see a, a bulge bracket bank like City uh, have a separate impact fund uh, to do exactly what we're doing right now. So appreciate you talking about that and, and diving further into Greenwood. Um, 
just want to zoom out a little bit on the fintech industry overall. We talked about the past 11 years and, and how the industry has changed. Uh, it'd be great to hear some of your thoughts on the next three to five years and you know which sectors within fintech you're most excited to see play out in that time frame. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think about that um, it's in two levels, right? If you look at individual spaces, be it, you know, we invest in prop tech. So if you think about the real estate industry and what's happening there, that, you know, we added prop tech as a focus area a couple of years ago. We have, you know, between eight and 10 companies in the prop tech space. We're super excited about what's possible there. It's one of the largest industries out there. And, you know, it has a institutional impact. It has a consumer impact. Uh, it has the ability to, you know, to reduce the friction involved in these transactions. There's a investor and a commercial aspect to it. And there's a residential sort of primary residence and, and home aspect to it. And so it's a very complex and a big industry and bringing innovation in the, into that industry creates a lot of opportunity. Um, but the thing that I think about at a sort of a higher level, I guess, is is how you know the industry is kind of getting modularized. And, and you know, people have talked about open banking or open financial services being you know able to connect through through APIs and embedding financial services in different in different places, I referred to this when I was talking about our investment in drive wealth, and and I think that that's going to happen in all different kinds of spaces and industries. Even going b- way back, you know, uh, you know about a few years ago, we became investors in Grab, the Southeast Asian version of uh, Uber, and people used to ask us, you know, what why did you invest in uh, in Grab? And the idea was to embed financial services, you know, to people on Grab's network. And that actually happened. Um, and so fast forward to 2021 or 2022 now, we f- see that, you know, that um, the trend of embed- embedded finance, you know, go across all aspects of the financial services industry. And I almost think of that, Anirudh, as sort of FinTech 3.0, right? The FinTech 1.0 is selling software and technology to, you know, to banks and financial services uh, institutions. FinTech 2.0 is perhaps what we've been living through in, over the last 10 years, where these things are getting digitized and they're coming online into mobile platforms. And then FinTech 3.0 is where these things get embedded. You know, you further, you know, of course you digitize, but you further remove friction, you bring in automation and you embed it where people are, where, you know, institutions are in terms of where they conduct commerce, where they uh, where they conduct uh, their personal financial uh, transactions. And um, and that, I think, will be the big sort of shift that that we will see over the next three to five years. I mean, it's already underway. We're already investing in it. And the and the full impact, I think, will be apparent in the next five years. On the flip side of that of that last question. Uh, are there any sectors that you're either a little bit bearish on or sectors that have a you think need to have a higher burden of proof uh, for you to feel comfortable investing in them? There are certain areas of fintech uh, that are quite crowded, right? The, the competitive landscape is quite full of, you know, because there's been so much investment coming in. And and so um, I think that that's something that we, we look at carefully where there used to be you know, let's say three or four companies. Now there are ten companies in each of these spaces, and so we have to be more careful about uh, sussing out the competition and identifying the the top uh, companies in every space. 
So that's something that we spend a lot of time on as um, as as a team. In terms of individual spaces themselves, um, you know, so much of you know when you think about, for example, asset-heavy uh, spaces like you know lending. I mean, that's something that we've always thought about. We're investors in some great companies in the in the in the lending world as well. But as you know, the the market changes with respect to interest rates and 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 sort of the macro conditions. There are obviously things that we think about before making new investments uh, in uh, in and around those spaces. But um, but it's hard to, you know, it's one of the things that I've learned by being in in you know venture for a long time is it's just incredibly hard to predict where that next big trend comes from. You know, and 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 you know, uh, I think people at Sequoia would tell you, right, like. Hey, you know the the most interesting and the most impactful companies, companies that we all know and love today, didn't happen sort of top down. They happened because there were there was a great entrepreneur who identified a need, solved the problem, and built a great company around it. So, I think the beauty of what we do is we think about themes. We think you know we have expertise in certain areas of of technology, namely financial services, enterprise, and things of that nature. But we're also a network of people, you know, looking for companies and and trying to identify uh, these trends and these entrepreneurs who are building building great companies. Yeah, Arvind, the last thing I wanted to do today was just ask you a few rapid fire questions to help the listeners get to know you a little bit better. Um, so we're hoping to get answers here in about ten seconds or less. Uh, are you ready to go? Yep. All right, let's do it. Um, what is an activity that has always been on your bucket list? Uh, great question. Until last year, it was skydiving, and uh, I was I successfully did that last year. But if but one that's still on my bucket list, if I could fly, ride, just ride in a fighter jet, that would be amazing. You know, my father was a aeronautics engineer all his career, and I've been fascinated with planes uh, ever since I was a kid. That would that would just be amazing. I spent a lot of time on YouTube mm. watching guys on F-35s and F-22s. Yeah, very cool. Would you would you skydive again, or was that a one-time thing? I could skydive again. Yeah. I, it was an amazing experience. Very cool. Uh, what is your favorite vacation that you've been on? You know, the, the many years ago, my wife and I took our little kids, and they were literally, you know, three and six years old, and we went to Italy, and we spent sort of two whole weeks there. And I know it's a fairly traditional um, vacation destination, but... Uh, but we just loved it. It's probably one of my favorite. You know, it's got a mix of history, architecture, food, scenery. You've got everything, and it's it's you know great people as well. So I would love to go back to uh, Italy at some point uh, now with older kids. <laughs> yeah. Did you have gelato every day? Almost every day. <laughs> yeah, that seems about right. Um, could you describe yourself in three words? I will try. I would say um, maybe four words. How about sure, that? Sure. Uh, I, I would say I'm curious. I'm always curious about learning about how things work. Um, I would say I have a self self deprecating humor. That's what people tell me, and I think it's it's right. Great. Uh, what is your favorite food? Well, it's um, if it's not freshly cooked North Indian food, it's probably something Pan Asian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and the last question I have for you is, and you can take a little bit more time on this one, uh, what does success look like for you and City Ventures? Uh, 
you know, since uh, the the starting this effort about 10, 10 plus years ago, we've invested in 130, 140 com new companies. Uh, we have a great portfolio. Uh, we have, you know, 22 or 23 unicorns at last count. Um, and, um, and I think that that's sort of the financial aspect of it, but really we've been able to bring a lot of that impact into city as a way to uh, embed capabilities to influence the, the thinking of our leadership uh, in financial services as well. And I think that, that it's, it's sort of going in a good direction, right? At the end of the day, we want to get more deeply embedded with our business units to, to make sure that we're thinking about what's important to them. And we're seeing the, the best companies and driving sort of that partnership. And, and so, um, so we want to continue to do that. We want to have a more global footprint. Um, we want to be more active in, in Southeast Asia. We want to be more active in uh, LATAM. We already have good presence in Europe, in Israel, and, uh, and of course, uh, in the U.S. Um, and so both the geographical uh, footprint as well as our impact within the company I'd like to, you know, see that continue to grow. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think that's probably a good place for us to wrap it up for today. Um, but Arvind, I really appreciate your time and, and getting to pick your brain on, I think, five of the investments that you guys have made. Um, so congratulations on the fantastic work so far and, and good luck uh, with your continued success at, at City Ventures. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for uh, having me on the Wharton FinTech podcast. It was a pleasure and uh, look forward to more great work from you guys. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our FinTech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Medium, and Twitter at Wharton FinTech. There you will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. I would also like to thank our editor, Raphael Austria, for his incredible work on our episodes. Signing off, I'm your host, Anirudh Singh.